I know what you're already thinking. Why is there a cow on the stage? You'll find out later. Um, I'm really excited this morning because we are kicking off a brand new series, um, a series that we've been brewing up for a while now that I think it really is uh, just going to be fantastic. It's, we're calling it Echoes of Jesus. Um, you know, in the scriptures, there's this fantastic line that Jesus shares with his followers as they're on their way to Emmaus. And, and kind of how the story set, Jesus had died on the cross and then he had risen again, and then he started appearing to his disciples in different places. And then on the road to Emmaus is one of those places, and he shares this just awesome line about himself with his disciples. Um, it's Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. If you have your Bibles, I would welcome you to turn there with me as well. Um, but this is what Jesus says to his disciples. He said, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It's that last verse. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That last line, if you have a highlighter or a pencil, I would highlight that line. It is an important line in just the way that we approach scripture. Because what Jesus is saying is kind of revolutionary. What he's saying is that when you crack open the Old Testament with all of its stories and, and rules and um, conquests and everything that kind of makes up the Old Testament, um, really the story is really not primarily about the Hebrew people or the Jewish people. It's really not a story primarily about us and kind of morality that we can pull from the Old Testament or something like that. He said there is the whole thing's about something else. And Jesus says the whole Old Testament Testament, like two-thirds of our Bible, it's actually about me, Jesus says. It's kind of a crazy line to think about. The whole thing. Jesus says that the Bible, the Bible is not just two testaments. It's really one big testament. And in this one big testament, this one big testament testifies to himself in some sense. The whole thing's about Jesus. This whole book is. And see, this means that when we dive into the Old Testament and we start taking a look at the stories, if we listen close enough to the words, we will almost always find echoes of Jesus in them. It's amazing. In the stories and people and conflicts and laws and prophets, in all of it, if we're listening closely enough, we will hear echoes of Jesus. And you can do this with just about any passage in the Old Testament, and you will find Jesus if we look closely enough. And that's really what this series, Echoes of Jesus, is all about. It's about finding Jesus in the Old Testament, and we will um, for the next several weeks. Um, to kick off this series, we're going to kind of head to a good old favorite passage of mine. It's in the book of Genesis. It's the story of Abram and Abram's calling from God. It's found in Genesis 15. Um, the story really is a story about 
covenant. And to hear that story, um, I'd like us to turn to our scripture reading this morning. Uh, the scripture reading this morning, if you have your Bibles, um, is going to be Genesis 15, verses 1 through 21. We would love to have everyone have an open Bible in this room. Wouldn't that be amazing? If you don't have one and you would like one, there are Bibles in the back here. You can go ahead and grab one right now if you'd like to. Um, our scripture reader this morning is going to be our very own Lorianne Lee. Lorianne, you can head on up when you're ready. We're going to read Genesis 15, 1 through 21. What we do here is we stand, and then we face the center of the room where the scripture is read. And we do so because if Jesus says that this Bible is all about him, then we need to listen closely and give it reverence, and this is our way of doing so. So, Lorianne, when you're ready, take it away. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Elizer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nations they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kedmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Thank you, Lorianne. You may be seated. And can we just say she totally nailed those names at the end, crushed them. I thought she did a really good job. You know, some of my favorite stories are those stories where uh, a person takes a tremendous risk. Um, with the reward being a more meaningful life. 
Um, like the famed story of Frodo in the books The Lord of the Rings, right? Many of us have at least seen the movies. And Frodo's this hobbit that lives this ordinary life, kind of just in an agricultural community that um, he called the Shire. And then he finds himself in this ordinary life with this opportunity to leave the Shire and to go on a risky and perhaps life-altering adventure. And then Frodo says yes to the risk. And the story changes Frodo from then on out. For three whole books, he goes on this adventure and it changes him. And then at one point near the end of the last book, Frodo finishes his adventure and then he comes home. He comes back to the Shire and he comes back a different person than he was when he left the Shire. And he looks around and he sees the problems that the Shire has and the complaints that people have in the Shire. And he sees all of it with renewed eyes. He has been a changed person. I love stories like that. You know, there's um, stories like that that actually aren't just fiction. You know, real people all the time take incredible risks in their lives um, with a high cost um, because they feel like they need to go out and find a more meaningful life or whatever else it may be that's driving them. And people regularly, like real people, regularly say yes to those risks, to those big changes in their lives. And they end up accomplishing some pretty amazing things as well. You know, um, this reminds me of, of the tech giants, Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, right? I mean, these guys are, were the, they made it into Harvard. And Harvard's like one of the hardest schools to get into, but they made it into Harvard. And then both of them, though decades removed from each other, both of them, they got into their second or third year and they decided that they needed to quit Harvard to take this massive risk or gamble and start their own tech companies. And so they did something that everyone thought was a bad idea. It was a huge risk. You don't just leave Harvard and then come back to Harvard, but they left. They started their tech companies and the rest is history with Facebook and Microsoft. I love stories like that, but the risk is sky high. And then there's those different stories of risk where, where people give up their ordinary lives to pursue a greater calling because they feel that God is calling them to something more, right? Those are great stories too. Um, like this person named Francis Chan, he's this famous um, author, he's a pastor in kind of American society. And Francis Chan was one of these guys who lived the vocational ministry dream. This dude had accomplished everything that every pastor would ever want to accomplish. He, he started a church and then his church quickly grew to become a megachurch and he was the pastor of a megachurch. And then he started writing books. And as he wrote books, people started buying them. Like perhaps millions of Christians have read Francis Chan's books. And then he got invited onto the speaking circuit at all these massive Christian conferences all around the globe. And he was like the keynote speaker at some of these places. He was the man. He was at the top of his game. And then in 2010, something changed. And he felt God was leading him somewhere else. And it would be risky. Where do you go from here? And he says, yes, God, I'm going to follow you. And then part of that for him was he gave all his money away. Pretty much any dime he had, he gave away to charity. And he had millions. And then part of it was leaving his job at his megachurch. He would no longer be the pastor of one of the largest churches in the country. 
And then part of it later looked like him actually moving out of the country and he moved to Africa to do mission work and get perspective on life. And he did that for a couple years. And then he came back and then he moved to San Francisco and he moved to the Tenderloin District. If you know anything about that, it's like the one place you don't want to live in San Francisco. It's the place where the homeless are and the meth users are and the runaways are. And he moved there um, as a nobody, sharing Jesus day in and day out. And it was a giant risk, yet Francis Chan thought it was completely worth it. I love stories like that. I mean, imagine for ourselves a minute. Imagine that God showed up this week in some powerful way in your life and said, hey, um, you, with all of your kind of job and your income and your home that you have and your family and your friends and your reputation and pretty much everything that you've built up, up in your life, I'm going to invite you to give all of that up to take this massive risk to go on this new journey with me. Would you do it if that happens? Would you do it? A lot of us say yes, but I just don't see it that often. Maybe you do. I don't know that we normally do. You know, perhaps we don't get callings from God very often, but I wonder when we do, how often we actually say yes to them. I really do wonder that. See, I say all of this because our scripture reading this morning is the story of Abraham. And Abraham had one of these God-calling moments where God called him into something new at a great cost. And Abraham at the time, his name was Abram before God changed his name. At the time, his name was Abram. And, and Abram was living the Mesopotamian dream at some point. He was living just like everyone else in society. He was probably a shepherd at the time of goats and sheep, um, farming just the food that his family can eat. Um, Abram was from a good family. It seemed like he had a great relationship with his parents. And Abram married just like everyone else married. And then Abram and his wife, Sarai, they decided that they were going to get pregnant. They were going to have an heir. They were going to have a baby. You know, they really wanted to fulfill the uh, Mesopotamian version of whatever the American dream is. They wanted to do that. They wanted the heir. And so they go after it. And then they hit a snag in the road. They found out that Sarai was barren, that they couldn't have babies, which meant no heir with Sarai. And I imagine for Abraham, that was a bummer moment for him. Like, oh man, this stinks. But it happens to people, right? It happens to people. And, you know, there's other ways to have an heir, I'm assuming Abraham thought. And then this crazy thing happens right in this moment in his life. This crazy, sudden, intense encounter with God. And God tells him, hey, Abram, I will make you a father, not just of an heir, Abram. No, I will make you the father of an entire people group. I will make you the father of a nation. I will make you the father of a place that has land and borders. And I can imagine Abram hearing this is like, oh man, this is awesome. This is exactly what I wanted out of my life. And then God says, well, there is a catch. There's a catch, Abram. Um, you see, in order for this all to happen, well, you're going to have to lose a lot. You have to lose a lot first. You're gonna have to say goodbye to mom and dad. Uh, you're gonna have to say goodbye to the land that you grew up in. You're gonna have to say goodbye to your, some of your extended family and friends. You're gonna have to say goodbye a lot. You're gonna lose a lot when you do this. And then Abram unflinchingly says, yes, God, I'm going. I'm going to do it. And he finds his way in Canaan. 
You see, our scripture reading this morning, yes, is about Abram being called. It's, it's actually about more than that, though. It's about this thing called covenant. Uh, the story of Abram's crazy, risky adventure is a story about covenant. And if you know anything about covenants, covenants in the ancient world was this legal process that people would go through and, and where they would make a, a formal agreement with one another where one party would come and say, hey, you, I'll give you 200 sheep um, if you'll let me have your daughter as my wife or something like that. And then both parties will mull it over and they would think about it and then they would make a covenant to make that thing official. And that's exactly what happens in the story of Abram. Now, if you're confused on what a covenant is, I can clear it up for you because I just bought a house and it's a lot like a covenant. Um, Becca and I, to buy our house, we had to show up to the bank and then we had to make a deal with the bank that said, hey, um, if you lend me a bunch of money, I will pay you all that money back and interest. It will be great for both of us. And the bank said, yes, that's a great deal for me, I think. <laughs> and then we got to this moment where we're sitting at this large desk and it felt like a massive desk to me. And then this lady pulls out this stack of papers and then boom, like right on the table. And then we had to sign our names on 700 pieces of paper to make this covenant, this commitment legal in some sense. In some ways, a covenant in the ancient world was something like the mortgage process in some way. And if you were to make a covenant with someone in the ancient world, lots of things needed to happen. There was a particular order that needed to be followed. There were steps that needed to be taken to ensure that this covenant would be official, that this agreement between me and you would be official. I, I want to run through this process a second because it's important to understand. Um, the first part of this process was called the pre-ceremony commitment. And like I just said earlier, there's that moment where this guy says, hey, I want to marry that guy's daughter in the ancient world, which is apparently okay back then, which is mind-boggling. And he says, hey, I will give you 200 sheep for two years if I can marry your daughter. And the guy says, the father says, okay, yeah, I can do that. And then they would shake on it, the pre-commitment or the pre-ceremony commitment. They would shake on it and say, okay, yes, we're both going to agree to this, but, it was, but it's not official yet. And then what would happen is there would be time in between that initial commitment and then the time when they would make it official, where maybe both parties could think about it, just to make sure that's exactly what they wanted to do. And after the time had passed, the two parties would come back together to make it official, and they would have this ceremony to do so. And that's where a bunch of weird stuff starts to happen in the ancient world. Um, first, what would happen is these two parties would come together and then they would take animals, and then they would sacrifice the animals. And the way that they would sacrifice them is they would cut the animals from nose to tail, straight down the middle, and kind of fillet the animal out so it was cut perfectly in half. And they would do that with all the animals that were a part of this covenant agreement. And so they would cut the animals, and then they would lay the animals out, so they would, like cow this way, facing out, and they would actually make a path of, well, here's animal, and then, and then here's animal, and then there'd be this bloody path in the middle of it that people could walk through. It was a really hygienic experience for everyone, I think. 
And after they would align the animals, both parties would hit pause, and they would do this thing called the exchange of items, where I would take my helmet off and give it to the other person. He would take his helmet off and give it to me. We'd swap swords. We'd swap armor and saying to each other, we are now one in this covenant together. We are the same in some sense. We are bonded in some sense. And after this weird exchange thing would happen, they would do this thing. It's really exciting. They'd call it the walk of death. That's exciting, right? Time to do the walk of death. And what they would do is they would have the animals lined up on each side, and each party, one after the other, would start taking steps through the center of the pieces of the animal with blood and guts all over the place, and they would walk through. And then with each step, as they would walk through, they would utter a phrase again and again and again. They would say, Do so to me as has been done to this animal. If I break this covenant, may I die even as this animal has died. And then they would take another step and they would say that again. Do so to me as has been done to this animal. If I break this covenant, may I die even as this animal died. And both parties would walk through and they would do that. And then they would have a moment afterwards where something else would happen. They would stand between these animals and they would declare their blessings and curses. And basically what that was is they'd say, okay, if you fulfill this covenant person I'm working with, then my tribal gods, they are going to bless you. You are going to have an abundant harvest. You are going to have lots of heirs. You're going to have a good life if you pull through on this covenant. But if you don't, there's curses. And my tribal God is going to curse you then. And it's going to be like locust swarms and bad stuff and disease. And you're going to be barren. And the harvest will not be plentiful. It will be a a really bad place for you in some sense. And after both people, both parties did this and they shared their blessings and their curses, they would finally seal the covenant. And the sealing of the covenant would look like them taking their hand most of the time, taking a knife to their hand, and then cutting their hands and then making themselves bleed, and then they would both shake hands together with their bloody hand, and the covenant was sealed, and the church all together said, ew, that's gross. Like, we know about STDs now. You don't want that kind of stuff. Like, that's no good for anybody. Now, I say all of this because the story of Abram and his covenant with God Um, it actually took much the same form as any other covenant did back in the ancient world. It follows that algorithm very well. If you turn to our scripture reading, you will see that unfold right before your eyes. It's really fascinating. There is a uh, pre-ceremony agreement that takes place where God comes to Abram and then makes a pitch and says, hey, Abram, do you want to make a deal? Do you want to do this covenant thing with me? And then Abram tentatively agrees. We actually read about this in Genesis 12. If you have your Bible, turn open to Genesis 12 here a moment. We'll, we'll, I'll show you this. It's just starting in verse 1 here. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed 
through you. And Abraham hears these, Abram hears these words and says, you know what? That sounds like a good proposition. Risky. I might lose everything, but I'm going to listen to this God. I'm going to go. And then he finds himself in Canaan. And then there's the covenantal waiting period, right? Where they, like both parties have to mull it over. Do we really want to do this? And so then in chapter 15, the covenant ceremony begins to take place. And you actually can read this, Genesis 15, verses 9 and 10. If you want to turn there, you'll see this. It says, So the Lord said to Abram, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And so Abram begins to put this covenant ceremony together. And what he does is he takes the birds and he places them. He doesn't cut them in half, but he places them here and here on each side of this pathway he was going to build. And then he took the goats and he did the same thing, the ram. And then he sacrificed it, and he sacrificed it. How? Cutting straight down the middle, and then he cut the goat in half. And then he laid one half, um, the ram, sorry, one half the ram on one side, the other half the ram on the other. And then he took the goat here, and he did the same thing, and he sacrificed it, and he cut it in half. And then he laid each half on each side of this path that he was building. And then he took the cow here. I'm sorry, my dairy people, but the cow's got to go. And he, and he sacrificed the cow and he cut it in half right down the middle from nose to tail. And then he set it just like this. And now there's this pathway so that now the ceremony can actually happen. It's pretty amazing. And then something unexpected happens. You would think at this point what's going to happen now is God and then Abram are going to walk through this and then they're going to make their agreement together. They're going to kind of follow all the steps of a covenant. But that's not what happens. Something else happens. Turn to uh, verse 12 in chapter 15 in our scripture reading. It says, As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. And the fourth generation, your descendants, will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. What this is, is essentially God's declaration of his blessings and curses. And he stands in the middle here, probably, and he says, look, Abram, there's these blessings and there's these curses, but I'm going to do things a little differently for you. Usually, I will bless you if you keep the covenant. I will curse you if you do not. And he says, actually, I will only curse those who curse you, Abram. I will not curse you in this covenant. And he changes the parameters for how this covenant Works And then something even more amazing happens, starting in verse 17. Genesis 15, 17. 
It says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. And here's what happens here, folks, is, is Abram falls asleep, not what you're supposed to do when you make a covenant. Abram falls asleep, and then God shows up as this smoking fire pot thing, and then something amazing happens. It says the smoking fire pot walks, makes its way through this path that the animals have made. And if we know how covenants work, we know exactly what God would have been saying, even though the words in Scripture don't say so. We know exactly what God would say. God, as he floated through this covenantal ceremony, would, would slowly move and say, do so to me as has been done to this animal. If I break this covenant, may I die even as this animal has died. And I imagine God slowly moved forward through the pieces again and said it again. Do so to me as has been done to this animal. If I break this covenant, may I die even as this animal has. And I imagine he continues to move forward and he continues to say it again and again and again. And Abram says nothing through this. See, what's amazing about this story is that God declares, hey, Abram, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make a covenant with you and your descendants forever. I'm going to do that. And if one of us breaks the terms of this covenant, Abram, if you do or your descendants do or I do, you're not going to pay the price, Abram. I will. I'll pay the price. I'll walk through the pieces. Do so to me as has been done to this animal. If I break this covenant, may I die even as this animal has died. Now, it, if you're listening closely enough, it's here that you begin to hear an echo of Jesus right in this moment. Jesus is obviously the subject of what's going on in this story, in this ceremony. Because you see, God knew that Abram would break the covenant and God knew that Abram's descendants would break the covenant. And then later, God knew that you and I would break the covenant again and again and again and again. Yet God said, I will still pay the price. I still will. And you see, that price came thousands of years later in the form of the God-man Jesus. That's where it came. And it looked like Jesus bloodied and bruised, cut literally into pieces and nailed to a cross. And it looked like Jesus wheezing and writhing in pain as he struggled for breath, as, as blood began to enter his lungs, which was common in those days when you were crucified. And it looked like Jesus looking out from the cross. He's got one breath left in him. He's about to die. And he utters the words, it's finished. It is finished. And what he means by that is this covenant way long ago with Abram, way long ago that we're all a part of, that we all broke, Jesus says, it's finished. I've repaired it. I fixed it for you. 
you broke it, I will pay the price. It is finished. You know, I don't know where you're at this morning. You know, maybe you come from a place where you had that moment of faith where you came and, and you believed in Jesus and you knew that if I believe in Jesus, that means I gotta follow all God's laws perfectly. I've got, like I have a clean slate now that I believe in Jesus and I can't mess this up, right? I can't mess it up. And then you know shortly after that, something happens, right? And you make a misstep and you're like, oh no, I broke the covenant. I broke it. And then you make another mistake and you broke it again. And then you make this one mistake and you break the covenant and you're like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that one again. And then without even thinking, you break it again in the same way. And then you do that again and again in the covenant. It seems like it's just all in pieces all over the place. Your faith is just ruined, it seems like. And you think, you know what? I deserve the curses from God. I can't do this. And perhaps you feel like, I should just walk away. I'm done. I can't do this. Or God would never accept me. I've broke the covenant way too many times. But remember, remember the cross. Folks, we didn't walk through the pieces. Jesus, or, or God walked through the pieces. And, and, and Jesus paid the price. And, and, and there's nothing you can do to change that. God has been gracious to us at the cross, putting what was broken back together, making it new again. You know, some of us are in a moment right now where we're struggling with a relationship, where we feel like we've been wronged in a relationship, right? Well, we've been wronged. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you feel like your spouse has wronged you in your marriage and, and the relationship is not in a good spot. Or, or maybe it's your relationship with the folks at your work, like something happened and they did something against you and you feel so wounded and hurt by that and you're really not sure what to do with that. Or maybe it's with your kids. You've parented your kids, you've tried to do it all right and now they're just rebelling against you and pushing against you every step of the way. Or maybe it's some other relationship. And we know it's not our fault. We didn't do this and we grow bitter in the process because we're really not sure how to deal with it. The relationship's broken, right? See, there's something about the power of the cross and, and of this moment. See, God made a covenant with us and then we broke it. We all did. And then God repaired it at the cross. God was gracious to us. And, and when we really begin to understand that, that grace will begin to flow through us. And when we've been wronged in a relationship, well, grace will be our response. If you can't let that hurt go, I wonder, I wonder if we just haven't grappled with, with this moment enough and really come to grips with it. It's finished. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you so much for um, the continuity of the Bible. We thank you that these stories that are thousands of years apart are all really just about Jesus. We really thank you for that. And God, it reminds us of, of your son. God, we're, we're thankful that your son was willing to go and to die a painful death 
uh, to renew the covenant, to put it back together, God. God, give us the heart and ears and minds to understand and to believe that. To believe the good news that you love us, that you're gracious toward us. Let us grow into that more and more every day. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.